we accidentally cut this chapter exactly in half. There were 10 pages that we talked about for the last episode, and this episode is also 10 pages. So, not accidental, but it is actually very symmetrical. (laughs) (laughs) Ready? Mm Mm-hmm. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing part two of chapter 13, Transitions. We left off with Althea meeting Amber. And with that transition, we'll get into the start of this part. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) We we start with Wintro. Who looks like a, a lot like Althea, eh? Right? Transition? Over? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> we, we start out with Wintro and how he's been handling the last couple of days being on Vivacia. Um, when we last left off with Wintro, he was being to- uh, told that he has to go to the ship and that he will learn to be a ship's boy. And that's where he's going to be living. Yes. And that he doesn't really get a choice. Yeah. And we peek in on him now, and it's been a few days, and he has blistered hands. And from his father, he says, we'll have those priest's hands toughened up in a week. You'll see. Kyle had jovially promised him the last time he had been seen fit to notice his son's existence. Wintrow had been unable to reply. And Wintrow can't remember the last time he's ever been so tired. He says his training had told him that the deepest rhythms of his body were being broken, Instead of rising at dawn and seeking his bed when darkness closed over the land, his father and his, the first and second mates were forcing him into a new regimen based on watches and bells. There was no need for their cruelty. So, okay, before we get into the rest of this, this is just Wintro being a child who doesn't want to do work. Like, that's down to my core. The first <laughs> paragraph here is just like, ah. Oh. Instead of just waking... Okay, first of all, I don't want to wake up with dawn either, but like, he's like waking up with dawn and going to bed with sunset. It's perfect the way it should be. How do they have to be so cruel with waking me up at the bells and showing me like doing physical work and stuff like that? It's just really funny to me. I know it's pretty abusive in general, but like just the way he presents it is very like, I don't want to do this teenager kind of stuff. Definitely. And I to be fair... What they're training him on the surface isn't necessarily that horrible. No, it's quote unquote. not. It's I mean, not. they're training him to sure, sure sleep in weird cycles. He doesn't get to do the normal day night thing like normal people do. But that's how life on a ship works. And honestly, it's giving him a leg up so that when the ship is going, his body will have some sort of rhythm with it that he'll know when yeah. to get up. Oh, so it is a kindness in a way. I don't, I hate to side with Kyle on this, but the fact that he gets a week before going off on the actual ocean to figure out how to work on a ship and to figure out what it, what that looks like and how to actually do the task without having to worry about other people scrambling around you to get things done. I think is a kindness that Wintro isn't really seeing as one. It's also a kindness to themselves, though, because they don't want to be teaching somebody out on sea. Right, definitely. But, I mean, obviously, 
that's putting aside the fact that they are being horrible to him and locking him in a basically a cupboard right <laughs> whenever it's not time for him to work so like it's a little bit deeper than just yeah. <laughs> the, like a whiny teenager but on the surface the stuff that he is complaining about to begin with is like you said not that big it's not that bad right and he talks about being woken up at odd hours being you know told to run up and down mass tying knots sewing canvas scrubbing scouring things like that he says it's not that difficult if they would just give him time to rest and they direct him about always with you know a scant smile at the corners of their lips with an edge of mockery to every command he was convinced he could have dealt well with anything they threw at him if only he had not had to face that ever-present scorn he pulled his aching hands from the bucket and gently dried them on a bit of rag. So it's, I, I definitely believe him with an edge of scorn to all the commands. Right. But also he's like 13 and he, now I'm like the, oh man, I'm just like the stereotypical man, just rub some dirt in it, toughen up. But <laughs> he has had a very sheltered upbringing in the monastery. Right. It's a very cerebral environment, very mm-hmm. thoughtful, very contemplative. And here is <laughs> him being thrown into a blue collar environment of like, just do your work and do it well. Don't think about stuff. It doesn't matter how we're directing you. Just do what we directed you to do. You don't need time to learn it. Like, don't you don't need breaks in between things to learn things. Just learn as you're doing it. Right. Which I don't know if that's it's, the best way to learn. No, it's definitely not for everybody. It's it's definitely fast paced and it's definitely pretty brutal for especially a boy of 13. Right. And somebody who's never done it before. But it's also not like the worst thing in the world. And he's been doing it for like a week. Right. And Kyle did mention, which I guess that's me taking Kyle for his word, but Kyle does mention that in a ship, you don't have time to think. You need to be able to just follow a command. You shouldn't be thinking about what that command means. You need to just do it so you don't die. And I think there is some truth in that. Obviously, the way he said it was horrible and like you should have thoughts of your own. And I think the way he was implying it is like, you don't need thoughts. You have a captain. And he was using it to justify hitting Wintro. Also that, but the general sentiment yes. though is like, <laughs> is like probably, true of like, yeah. you don't need to sit there and think through everything like you do in the monastery. Sometimes you just have to be able to do things at the snap of a finger. And that is just a different skill. And Wintro isn't very good at learning the skill yet. Right. Yeah. He's he's learned to think too much. <laughs> True. And I mean, it is really fair that he feels really beaten down. This isn't something he's good at naturally, and he's not really getting praise. I, you know, I mean, I originally went to school to be a teacher, and we talked a lot about how you kind of have to approach children in different ways because everyone learns differently. And so the ultimate goal of a teacher should always be to find the way that works for your child or the child that you're teaching in that moment and help them from there. And so I do feel like if they would talk to Wintro about the situation or like explain why they're doing it, or even just give him a little bit extra rest because he seems to need that and do better with that, that'd be great. But this isn't a classroom in 2022. This is... (laughs) This is Wintro on a boat with men who think being a man is doing this. And specifically 
mostly Torg, who worked with slavers before and is a very cruel person. Yes. According to Wintrow's like thoughts and comments, he doesn't really see his dad ever. His dad is doing other things. Right. And we don't really hear about the first mate gantry at all. So I'm assuming it's mostly Torg who is directing him around. Right. There's definitely that little mention that the first mate is also helping, but I think you're right that probably Kyle and the first mate are busy talking about the expedition ahead and what that's going to look like and what they're doing and planning. So he's sitting down on his haunches. He put his cleanest cleanest shirt on that he could find uh, because he washed his other ones and they're still damp, haven't dried through, and they're acquiring a mildewy scent. There was no comfortable place to sit, so he's just kind of squatting, and he's waiting. He's waiting for the bang on the door that would summon him to the captain's table. Since he had tried simply to walk off the ship yesterday, Torg had taken him to locking him in his quarters during the time allotted for him to sleep. So he wasn't locked up before, but he did try to just, like, walk off the ship and walk away. And then Torg just locked him up because he's not supposed to leave. Which, I mean, good on him for for deciding, like... Good on him, but, like, also just wait till it's night or something and then walk away. Well, you don't know that he didn't do that. I guess, but, like... How far did he get before? I'm sure he tripped over something and they. Yeah, probably. You know, or they have watches, I'm sure. Even yeah, when that's it's true. That's true. Even though it's a live ship. So, yeah, it is really interesting, though, to think about that it took him that long to even try to just walk off. Like, well, I guess might as well try. And then now he is confined further. But he is incredibly tired and he does doze off crouching there, which. Uh, to intro is incredible, but you can sleep pretty much anywhere if you're tired enough right. to do it. And the door is opened up suddenly, and Torg says, Captain wants you, though why anyone would want you is a puzzle to me. Wintro ignores the jibe and the screaming of his joints to rise and follow the man. As he walked, he tried to work his shoulders loose. It felt good to be able to stand completely upright again. Torg glanced at him. Hurry up, you. No one has time to put up with your dawdling. It was more his body than his mind that responded, making an effort to put spring in his step. Although Torg had threatened him several times with a knotted rope, he'd never used it, and the fact that he only threatened him when neither his father nor the first mate were on board made Wintrow suspect it was something Torg would have liked to do, but dared not. Still, just sensing that... Just the sensing of that capacity in the man was enough to make Wintrow's flesh crawl whenever he was about. Yeah, Torg is a very creepy, insidious, gross, as Wintrow describes him, ape of a man. (laughs) He's apish. (laughs) Right. There's definitely this cruelty to Torg that only gets worse as we continue reading. I think... Torg is the less well-spoken and less well-connected version of Kyle. They're very similar to me in that they both think violence is justified when it's on people below you deem below you. And they both seem to revel in the idea of putting people underneath them and feeling big in that way. And I just don't respect either of them, I guess. Right. (laughs) But we do have that little sense of Wintrow is learning to just do without thinking. He mentions 
right? Like he's told to stop dawdling and he just moves forward a little bit faster, even though there's no real reason to, but it's still, you know, still a work in progress for him. Yeah. He's still thinking underneath, which I guess like there's no, he never stops. I mean, no Wintro's Wintro, you know? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with thinking through things no. and using your natural bodies you know, like muscle memory to just kind of listen. Yeah. <laughs> to do things and then think is okay. Some of the time, <laughs> at least Fitz would, Fitz would say so. True. So Torg sees him right to the captain's door because apparently he can't trust Wintro to do the task himself. And then Wintro's like, well, I guess he couldn't trust him. <laughs> couldn't trust me. So he says, even though his father had reminded him repeatedly that Sa's precepts included obedience and honor due to one's parents, Wintro had decided that if any opportunity presented itself at all, he would leave the ship and return however he could to his monastery. Sometimes he felt that resolve was all he had left to cling to. Torg watched him as he knocked sharply on the door and then entered to his father's curt, come ahead. I do think it's really interesting how Wintro does this like feels a little bit like Althea this like optimism and kind of childishness of well I'm gonna run away then and I don't even care how it happens I'm gonna do it I'm not gonna think of the logistics yeah just clinging to one thing that will get you through the next thing like like Althea was thinking about my father will make this all right yes on the ship with Kyle you know yeah there's just that that thing to hold on to and I don't know. It, it's sad and childish, I guess. I don't know. Sad because we know he's not going to be successful in this endeavor, but childish just in that he's kind of blinded to the improbability of that happening. He just wants it to happen. And so he's just going to think about what will happen when that does. He enters his father's uh, captain's quarters here and sees that the table has a bunch of dishes out on it. There's a nice white cloth over it. He's wondering if he's interrupting a private meeting. His father says, come in and shut the door. First off, come in is a shade of annoyance and then shut the door is a gentler tone. And Winter obeys him but remains standing by the door, wondering what was required of him now. Had he been summoned to wait the table for his father and a guest because his father wore, you know, tight fitting breeches of blue and a blue jacket over a shirt of soft cream. His hair had been plaited with oil and it gleamed like old gold in the lamplight. And this is very parallel and reminiscent of Kenneth kind of dressing up and presenting the the meal to Sorkor. Right. In my mind, it's not exactly parallel, but it's very similar in that it's presenting an opportunity. It's kind of buttering you up to do something. And being like, look at how good you could have it if you just do what I want you to. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So we get it from the other perspective now, from someone who is a little bit more skeptical than Sorkor was. And his father, uh, Kyle, is all dressed up nicely. There is a nice you know, spread on the table right now. And he says, Wintro, son, come and sit down and join me. Forget for a moment that I am the captain and have a good meal and let us talk plainly. His father gestured at the plate and chair opposite of him and smiled warmly. 
It only made Wintrow feel warier as he approached the table and gingerly seated himself. He smelled roast lamb and mashed turnips with butter and applesauce and peas cooked with mint. Amazing how Keen's one's nose could become after a few days of hard bread and greasy stew as rations. Still, he kept his aplomb, forcing himself to unfold his napkin onto his lap and await his father's signal to begin serving himself. He said please to his father's offer of wine and thank you as each dish was offered him. He sensed his father watching him and made no effort to meet his eyes as he filled and then emptied his plate. If his father had intended this civilized meal and quiet moment as a bribe or a peace offering, it was ill-considered. For as the food filled his belly and the surroundings restored to him a sense of normal normality, Wintrow found a chill sense of outrage growing in him. He's kind of thinking now like, okay, I'm not on the edge of, you know, waiting for the next command, jumping to it or whatever. I have a sense and have time to gather myself again. And he feels the outrage again of what has been done to him, of what he has been doing. And of, you know, the uh, not knowing what to say to Kyle, who is smiling fondly as his son ate like a famished dog. And Wintrow was uh, forcing to keep his tongue still, forcing himself to stop and not talk, basically. Right. Well, it is this really interesting moment because we do have Wintrow at first kind of being docile. And then the longer he has to think, the more his anger is stewing. Like, yeah. And also, he was very hungry before. He isn't eating well. Who knows if he's getting regular meals? I'm sure Torg is forgetting. <laughs> and he isn't getting very good sleep. He's just really being pushed to the absolute limits and then tried to be swayed by this use of goodies. And it's kind of gross that Kyle is trying to manipulate his son and his own son in this way. I mean, it's gross to do that to anyone, but it's his right. son. Yeah. And instead yeah. of like having a chill one-on-one conversation with your kid and trying to get where they're coming from and make some sort of agreement, it's like, oh, I'm going to persuade him to be the way I want him to be, or I'm going to disown him. And I don't know. It's just, it's really gross. And it's especially gross because we have to read it through Wintrow's eyes and see the hurt that he has to go through of this is this is who his father is and nothing that he does is going to be yeah. good enough for his father. Right now his father seems happy and obviously we can deduce that's because, you know, he's finally eating well and he has that weird thing about Wintro being short and tiny and obviously the way to fix that is just to eat more, which feels counterintuitive if he hasn't been feeding him very well up until this point, but I guess whatever. And also, so we see kind of Wintrow's whole attitude about this situation. He says, he tried to recall all he had been taught about dealing with adverse situations, that he should reserve judgment and action until he had grasped his opponent's motivation. So he's eating and drinking silently, watching his father out of, you know, through his lashes and notices that his father actually rose himself to set their plates on a sideboard and then offered Wintrow a serving of custard with fruit. Wintrow is forcing himself now to say thank you as it was set before him. And then there was something in the way that his father resettled himself in his chair to let him know the point of this whole meeting was about to be announced. 
So now he, Kyle says and introduces this talk with, yeah, you've developed a good appetite. Hard work and sea air will do that for a man. And that's, that's kind of the view of where Wincho is coming at this conversation with. Like he views this as an adverse situation with his opponent there. Yeah. He needs to figure out what Kyle wants because he wants, Winchell just wants off, you know, and he right. knows that his father wants him to stay on. And this is a abnormal situation. So he's wondering what the point of this is. Right. But not only that, I think, I think the saddest part about this Winchell section is this, this devolving into this place of, oh, there is no reconcile like a reconcilable moment here. We can never see eye to eye. My father is never going to let himself be swayed in any way. If, because he thinks that that makes him less of a man in some weird toxic way. And I think that's kind of the saddest part because here we have Wintro trying so hard to like reach his father on some level over and over and over again. And all we get is Kyle just constantly shutting that down. And just like really breaking any sort of connection that he'll ever be able to have with his kid in the future. I mean, I guess technically he does die. Spoiler alert. (laughs) He does die in the series. But if he weren't to die, I think there's definitely the whole idea that he would be losing his son in the way that he is acting in this way. Yeah. I mean... We're not quite at the point where they're yelling at each other yet, but yeah, definitely it's kind of starts out at not a high, but it starts out higher (laughs) where it ends up (laughs) and slowly just spirals down, like you mentioned. Right. So his father is saying, oh yeah, you're still smarting about what I did, huh? Well, you'll, you'll see, you know, a week's work of hard work and sea air and a ship under sail. Well, you haven't seen the ship under sail yet, but you'll come to see the beauty of what we're doing here. And then he says, I just want you to know I'm not doing this to you to be harsh or cruel. A time will come when you will thank me. I promise you that. When we are done with you, you will know this ship as a true captain should, for you will have worked every measure of her and there won't be a task on her that you haven't performed yourself. His father paused and smiled bitterly. Unlike Althea, who just claims such knowledge, you will actually have done it, and not just when it pleased you, but as a sailor should, keeping busy every minute of your watch and doing tasks as they need doing, not only when you are ordered to do so. Okay. I don't even know where to start, but I'm going to start with the Althea bit, because it makes me the most angry. How does he know Althea can't do these things? Because as far as we know, she does know how to do every aspect of the ship. She Just because he doesn't like the way she was taught in a gentle way of like, you need to learn this for the future, doesn't mean she doesn't know how to do them. And for him to say uh, that she doesn't just do things when they need to be done, she waits until she's ordered is so ridiculous considering the very beginning of this book starts with Althea doing something that needs to be done without being told to do so. According to Kyle, that did not need to be done though. Cause she reordered his organization. Sure. Of things. But like, so in his eyes, that doesn't count. That's not a thing. I, I guess, but like <laughs> she did it right. 
You know what I mean? Like, even if he's like, I don't agree with the way she reorganized things. He doesn't even acknowledge that she did it all by herself and correctly. Like, does that not take skill in some way? Because it wasn't correct to him. <laughs> I, it's, uh, it bothers me so much that he pretends like Althea is just some f- silly little girl who doesn't even know. She just sat on a ship all day long. And like, as much as I think Althea was spoiled and didn't need to actually work the jobs the way they're intended, I don't feel like she didn't do shifts. You know what I mean? Like, sure, she probably got to pick when she wanted to do a shift, but I don't think she was allowed to just half do a shift. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like she was. I don't know. I I kind of get that from... Her being on the ship in the future and having to work all the shifts and then just in general, like seeing no fault in, you know, her reminiscing about just kind of like sleeping in her cabin, sleeping in her dad's thing, playing with maps, you know, just hanging out, being locked in her room for a while. You know, like there was nothing really like I would be working at this point or something. It was all just kind of. But that was also memories of when she was a kid. Yeah. And when she first got on the ship. And so I feel like that's not a fair assessment because. I just, I don't know. I, there, there's no evidence one way or the other, I guess, that she did a full ship, but a lot of people say she didn't. So. But who's a lot of people? Well, it's like, I think Brashen has that <laughs> thought and Kyle here, obviously. Because he has things against Althea, but I thought Brashen's thought was more that she'd never been off of a live ship, and live ships are easier. I don't know. I don't remember specifically. And I mean, okay, here's the way I think about it. I feel like Althea specifically says that her father kept her on tasks whenever she's laying on the floorboard of the Vivacia and reminiscing about the good old times when she first started sailing and got to take naps and. Look at maps, like you said. Her father, though, kept her busy to so that she didn't get to do that in the beginning. She talks about that. So maybe she doesn't have to wake up with the shifts like the way Wintro does, and maybe she didn't have to work as hard as Wintro is working or like a normal sailor would have to do to go up the ranks. But I don't think it's fair to then assume that that means that she wasn't working at all like she was barely working or just doing what she wanted I think she got to choose what role she wanted and I think she got to choose when she wanted to do it but I think she still had to do it with competency I like I don't think her dad would have let her get away with that especially if he was keeping her busy the whole time you know what I mean I don't know it just feels like hmm I don't remember her talking about her father like keeping her on task or anything like that He kept her doing things so she couldn't nap Mm. on the floor. Yeah, but that was when she was a kid, remember? But that continued on so that she didn't have, because she didn't ever have, she's like, oh, I haven't had time to do this in a really long time. Yeah, maybe. I I don't, I I guess I never interpret that as like she was put on shift and like made to work kind of thing. So I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like, I don't think she was put on shift. I I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, Like pick and choose her task or whatever. I get that whole part. I just don't. I never interpreted it as that. I don't know. I think that's what I'm interpreting. And especially I think later in the ship that she's on, she just realizes how hard it actually is to have to work a full shift and to have to be 
the low man on the totem pole and have no help because I think people were nice to her on the ship. And sure, they probably went easy on her, but like, I don't know. She still can do it. She still succeeds in being a sailor. So I like that can't have just come from nowhere. You know what I mean? And so I think I get the most mad when Kyle is sitting here being like, unlike Althea, who knows nothing. And it's like, (laughs) well, obviously is biased against her. Right. But it's just, it just is so stupid to me because I don't, it just makes me so, so, so mad every time I read it because it's like, okay, clearly you have literally no idea what you're talking about, but go off, I guess. Like, (laughs) and then we also have this aspect of like, oh, you think you hate me now, but that's just because you're crabby that I'm making you work. And it's like, no, dude, you literally are changing his entire life and refusing to listen to what he actually wants to do. And you're forcing you're literally walking him on a ship to force him to stay there. This isn't right. like a little misunderstanding. Like he's sad that he has to work. This is like yeah. you're keeping him here against his will and he truly does not want this path in life. And I don't know, just the whole the whole thing together is gross. And I I hate Kyle. <laughs> Kyle does pause and Wintro obviously keeps very still uh, and does not respond and thinks that Kyle wants a response. But after a while, Kyle just continues on saying, I know what I'm asking of you is hard. So I will tell you plainly what awaits you at the end of this steep road. In two years, I expect to make Gantry Amsforge captain of this vessel. In two years, I expect you to be ready to serve as mate. You'll be very young for it. Don't deceive yourself as to that. And it's not going to be handed to you. You'll have to show both Amsforge and I that you are ready for it. And even if and when we accept you, you'll still have to prove yourself to the crew every day and every hour. It won't be easy. Still, it's an opportunity that damn few men have offered to them. So, with a slow smile, he reached into his jacket. He drew out a small box. He opened it himself and then turned to proffer the contents to Wintrow. It was a small gold earring wrought in the likeness of the vivacious figurehead. He had seen such earrings on other sailors. Most crew members wore some device that signaled their allegiance to the ship. An earring, a scarf, a pin, a tattoo if one were really sure of continuing employment. All were ways of declaring one's highest loyalty was given to a ship. Such an act was not fitting for a priest of Sa. Surely his father must already know his answer. But the smile on his father's face was warm as he invited him with, This is for you, son. You should wear it proudly. And, of course, Winter's counseling himself. Truth, just simple truth. Politely, gently, no bitterness or anger. I don't want this opportunity. Thank you. You must know that I would never deface my body by piercing an ear to wear that. I would rather be a priest of Sa. I believe it is my true calling. I know you believe you are offering me a shut up. There was deep hurt beneath the anger in his father's voice. Just shut up. So bring it back a little bit. (laughs) We have Wintrow finding out the true reason he's here. This is Kyle's master plan, what he's been planning all along, which honestly is even more ironic considering how much he was crapping on Althea and how everything was given to her and she never had to work. And we have 
this like, well, son, I'm going to make you first mate in two years when you're 15 years old and you've only ever worked on a ship for two years. I, Obviously you have to I wonder it. if it was two, if it was first mate or if like since Gantry would be captain, Torg would be first mate and then second mate would be, I don't know. It's never, it just says mate. Right. So I don't know. Like, so I, I bring this up because it's either he's putting his son in front of Torg then he doesn't care as much for Torg, right? Right. But he's like bringing Torg along. He's using his expertise. Like, I don't know if he would do that or if he like really just doesn't care for Torg and is just kind of using him. And it's like, he's fine. I just don't want to promote him at all. Or if it's Kyle sticking by like the current chain of command and moving up Torg as well and saying like, yeah, Torg's a great guy. So I don't know. I don't know either. But... I, the way he says that, I just assumed first mate. Maybe I, it's either. Whatever when he earns, quote unquote. Yeah, I, I assumed first mate at first as well. It just brought into mind like the whole Torg conversation because we, we were talking about like the people that he associates with. And you right. thought that Torg was like similar to Kyle if he was didn't have the opportunities he had and had to right. work in the slave trade, that sort of thing. So I'm just kind of curious of the actual, I guess, commitment they have to one another. And how closely they work with one another. Right. Maybe he would put him on a different ship, though. Like, maybe, yeah, we I don't, don't know. know. I don't know. Any, it doesn't yeah. really matter to this, but yeah, that's what, just a thought that popped in my head. Right. But anyway, he still, he just got done talking about how Althea gets handed everything and she's the worst and doesn't have any talent. And it's going to give his son two years to learn the ins and out of an entire ship and then let him be mate, which is... There's no way that's earned. There's just no way he could possibly do that. And like, obviously Kyle's really harsh and you'd think there'd be some bit of him making Wintro actually work hard to earn it. But like, does that mean by skill or by willingness to be obedient to Kyle? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it wouldn't be about Wintro's ability to do stuff as much as it would be Wintro's ability to do what his father says. And I just think it's really stupid to pretend like he's so much above Efren Vestret and how he spoiled his daughter when first chance he gets, he's just going to hand his son a role that his son, quite frankly, doesn't deserve and is very young to be handed. Like even in two years, he's going to be 16, 15, 16. That's not old enough to be a mate. To be fair to Kyle, he says all those things. He says, like, you're going to have to work to earn this. You are too, like, you are very young for this. And you're going to have to prove to me and to the future captain that you can do this. And you'll have to continue to work while you're in the, the mate. So he, he does say all those things that you're right. bringing up. So he, he understands that as well. Just want to. Well, no. Yeah. I, it's just yeah. like. But how in two years, he's never done anything on a ship before, and Kyle expects him to be able to be competent enough in two years at 16 year, years old to be a mate. So, like, does that mean his expectations are really low that he has to meet? Or, what? you know, I don't know. That's just where I'm getting this weird, like, he's like, not very many people get this opportunity. It's like, yeah, probably nobody gets the opportunity at that age. <laughs> That's I don't know. It's just really weird to me. I'm, I, I'm no expert of, you know, sailing ships or anything like that. Maybe two years is enough to learn the ins and outs of everything, of every role. But like, 
nobody gets the opportunity because it's nepotism. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I guess, or like on all ships, it's kind of like those are filled in with the most veteran of people because they're the people who have proved that they have a brain and can right. sit there. So if you have your son who says, yes, I will accept what you're giving me, father. And he says he'll work for two years and you promote him to mate, you know, he'll be loyal to you and he's still not captain. Right. So he'll still have like time to learn, but he has to be on the ship. So maybe this is Kyle's thing of like, he'll have enough experience to know everything on the ship. He won't be in charge of the ship because I'll have the captain there, but he has to be on there for vivacia for all these superstitions. Right. So I'll give him this, like, I'll give him the honey here. This is like his tempting offer to stay. And it's a great opportunity in Kyle's mind. Right. You know, just again, the whole thing that we were talking about with Brash and Althea last episode of doesn't understand the world he's coming from and people want different things. Right. So I, I'm wondering if that's where he's kind of coming from. It's just like, I have to have Wintro on here, some sort of family member, not doing Althea. He's, Wintro seems to be doing okay this week. I haven't heard anything besides him trying to walk off, but like he's doing his work. He can learn. He's my son. He's becoming a man. He has an appetite. Great. Here's an earring. You're become a mate. I'm going to keep you on the ship. You're going to love it, but you're not going to be in charge because I have my friend doing that until like you learn to be a captain as well. And I know I can trust you. I'm wondering if that's where he's coming from. Like this is, this is more of like a bribe to Wintro rather than like, I'm going to put my family in charge. Cause Kyle seemed very certain of like, you're going to be ship's boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I yeah, it's also uh, to be able to brag that his son is like, has earned first mate, whatever that means. Feels yeah. like something Kyle would like to have. Probably. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I don't like Kyle. <laughs> so I don't, I can't find any good in that. I can't find. See, that's, that's like, why I'm trying to take the other tack. I know you're not yeah. going to see any sort of redeeming qualities in anything he's offering. So I'm trying to see like sure. other sides of that. <laughs> no, that's good. But like, ugh. even if you look at me with a disgusted look on your face, <laughs> just like, no, stop talking about Kyle. Well, yeah, it's just, <laughs> I don't know. I can't. He is a family oriented guy. And as much as he doesn't like Wintro's life, cho uh, life choices, he assumes that they are over. And yeah. I think that's what's so interesting about this whole proposal, right, is that. It was only a week ago that Wintro had said, I want to be a priest of Saw, and Kyle had to literally threaten the law at Wintro to keep him on board, to say, like, your labor is mine until you're 16, and I will invoke that law, and I don't care. Like, I'm going to force you to do this. And so then to turn around and be like, okay, that never happened. You do want to be here now. Cause you've been here a week. Not that it never happened, but think about the parallel with what happened with Althea. He hits both of them. They remain quiet and not talking about their ambitions or anything that they were arguing against before for the next week. Althea was a couple weeks, right? They come out and he sees them and they're very polite they're very reserved. And he's like, I won my, my brand of 
reformation is the right one. He looks like he's being a proper sailor here. He's going to want to do it now. I, I convinced him this is yeah. the life that that's in his mind. He is right no matter what. And the, the punishment he doled out by hitting Wintrow and saying like, this is going to be how it's going to be. And now Wintrow's being a sailor and he's moved too fast to even think about anything and probably hasn't talked about saw at all to anyone. Right. Kyle thinks he he's on the right track. Right. No, I definitely agree that there's a sense of like justification happening that anything Kyle does can be justified to himself. Right. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it's even justification. I'm saying like, not that the previous incident didn't happen, but like this kind of makes sense because Kyle won now. Right. So the next step is to keep him on there and keep him motivated. Right. No, I definitely agree. I just think it's, I'm, I think it's just sad to think that like <laughs> yeah, he is. had a week to think of True. ways to like keep his son happy to be like, listen, I know you don't want to be here, but I need you to be on this ship for at least two years while your brother grows up a little bit more and then we'll get him on the ship or something like right. that could have been what he came to him with. He could have said, yeah. you know, like, and I bet Wintrow would have conceded to that. I bet Wintrow would say, you know what, if you promise me that my brother comes on this ship in two years. I'll work for you. Like I'll try my best. And I like truly believe that winter would be able to find common ground in that, in that like, okay, so I do get to go back to saw at some point. I just have to do this for a little bit longer. If winter or excuse me, if Kyle wasn't so confrontational probably could have been resolved pretty easily. Yep. Oh, for sure. Or even just like, Hey, work for two years and we'll reassess there. But if you really don't want to, we'll have Selden aboard. Kyle could have been crafty like that because if he had talked to Ronica, like if he was, if he was crafty, if he thought everything through, he could have talked to Ronica or Althea and well, he wouldn't have talked to Althea, but he could have talked to Ronica and said like, how do these live ship things work? And would have known Wintrow would have formed a very close bond with Vivacia during those two years. And he wouldn't have wanted to leave probably. Right. But instead it's. Let's make him a slave and cut off his finger. Right. Well, he doesn't cut off his finger just to spite I, him. That's I like know. an infection <laughs> thing. I feel like you keep saying it like it's like Kyle's like, okay, finger chopping time. Like You don't know, listen, you but... get the job. <laughs> it's basically no. Kyle's fault anyways. So. Well, true, but still. <laughs> but I agree. I mean, there are a lot smarter ways to go about it. I just don't think Kyle is necessarily that smart. I, I mean, nothing Kyle has done has said to me that he is a very good sailor or a very competent captain. And granted we are seeing things from Althea's point of view, but Brashen even says that he's not a very good captain. I don't know. I just feel, and especially somebody who has to resort to violence to get what they want and to get control, quote unquote. I feel like that doesn't bode well for a good leader. Right. Yeah. I don't know. So I just, I think he just projects onto Althea too much. He's like, I'm not very qualified for this job, but you know who's worse? Althea, because I don't like her and she's a woman. (laughs) But with this conversation with Wintrow, he is genuinely hurt that Wintrow is going back, like saying, no, I I can't accept what you're offering me, father. I'm a priest of Sa. You must have known that. And Wintrow detects like that genuine hurt in his voice, just like saying, very hurtful to his son, but shut up, just shut up because he wanted him to, he wanted him to 
want to join the family business and be a sailor. And in his father's eyes, he wanted his son to be a man instead of just a wuss. (laughs) Right. I just think it is really weird that it hurts his feelings that his son says no to his idea, though. Maybe maybe he's just not used to people openly disagreeing with him or people resiliently disagreeing with him. He's used to being able to sway people's minds. Yeah. He says, say you hate me, tell me you can't take the work, and I'll know I can change your mind. But when you hide behind this priest nonsense, are you afraid? Afraid of having your ear pierced? Afraid of an unknown life? His father's question was almost desperate. The man grasped after ways he could persuade Wintra to his side. I am not afraid. I simply don't want this. Why don't you offer it to the person who truly hungers for it? Why don't you make this offer to Althea? Wintra asked quietly. The very softness of his words cut through his father's diatribe. His father's eyes glinted like blue stone. He pointed his finger at Wintro as if it were a weapon. It's simple. She's a woman. And you, damn you, are going to be a man. For years it stuck in my craw to see Efren Vestert dragging his daughter after him, treating her like a son. And when you came back and stood before me in those brown skirts with your soft voice and softer body, with your mild manners and rabbity ways, I had asked myself, am I any better? For here before me stands my son, acting more like a woman than Althea ever has. It came to me like that. That it was time for this family. You speak like a Chalcedian, Wintrow observed. There, I am told, to be a woman is but little better than to be a slave. I think it is born of their long acceptance of slavery there. If you can believe that another human can be your possession, it is but a step to saying your wife and your daughter are also possessions and relegate them to lives convenient to one's own. But in Jamalia and in Bingtown, we used to take pride in what our women could do. I have studied the histories. Consider the satrap Maloda, who reigned consortless for a score of years and was responsible for setting down of the rights of self and property, the foundation of all our laws. For that matter, consider our religion. Sa, who we men worship as father of all, is still Sa when women call on her as mother of all. Only in union is there continuity. The very first precept of Sa says it all. It is only in the last few generations that we have begun to separate the halves of our whole and divide the I didn't bring you here to listen to your priestly claptrap. So, Wintro is very, they're both very naive in their arguments. They both don't really know at this point that there's no convincing them with their own lives. Right. Kyle being like, no, the sailing life is the best for you. You're a man. She's a woman. It only can be you. And Wintra being like, but Sa is awesome. Meanwhile, both of them are like, sailing sucks and Sa sucks. (laughs) There's no reconciling that at this point. No. And I think, I think it's really interesting to have Kyle flat out say, like, say something that would make it easy to convince you. Like, if you hate me or you're just mad at the treatment you're getting, I know I'm getting through to you. And then he blames or he says that it's hiding behind the priesthood that he pretends he doesn't want it. And that's such an interesting thing. Like, nobody could possibly not want to be a sailor. Right. It, like, doesn't make sense in his mind. does not compute. Or in charge of a ship, you know? Right. Eventually. 
Like that's the best there is. Why wouldn't you want that? And then Wintrow's trying to come at it like, well, there's a lot of things like that could be different. But I do think also <laughs> Kyle being like the whole reason Althea isn't good at this is because she's a woman. It's like, yep, called it. Boom. The worst. Well, person. we knew that from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. But like he said it out loud. <laughs> said the quiet part out loud. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just really interesting to have this like. He is trying to push Wintro into this because he doesn't want to be Efren Vestret. He's like trying so hard to be different. And what he views being different than Efren is by forcibly changing the will of your child. <laughs> right. Yeah. Instead of letting them grow in a way that they need and want. <laughs> and then Kyle addresses his Chalcedian upbringing, which I found this passage incredibly interesting for his perspective. He says, you may not recall her, but your grandmother, my mother was from Chalced. And yes, my mother behaved as was proper for a woman to behave, and my father kept to a man's ways. And I took no harm from such an upbringing. And then he he points to, look at your grandmother and your mother. Like, they're stressed out. They have to deal with all of these different things. Are they content? They have, they're burdened with decisions and duties that take them out into the harshness of the world, subjected to dealing with all sorts of low characters, forced to worry constantly about accounts and credits and debts, that isn't the life I swore I'd provide for your mother, Wintrow, or your sister. I won't see your mother grow old and burdened as your grandmother Vestret has, not while I'm a man, and not while I can make you a man to follow after me and uphold the duties of a man in this family. So I, I found those were incredibly interesting insights into his character because, again, as we have talked about before, Kyle is doing this from the bottom of his heart with a goodness to support his family. He thinks this is the best way to do things. He thinks that deep down, conditioned as he is from his upbringing, from his mother, apparently, who is from Chalced, and his father who supported that or was fine in, in being the, uh, the controlling person in that relationship, he sees women as people to be protected by putting them in a glass box so they don't have to do anything, which means taking the control out of all their hands. But to him, it's not putting burdens on them, which is such an interesting perspective to see. Yeah, definitely. Like it's, it's not what's actually happening and it takes agency out of all of these different characters. But for somebody to be like, I am a good person. I'm just trying not to burden my wife and my daughter with things like with debts and worrying about money and stuff. I'm just trying to provide for them is something that a lot of people can probably relate to, but we don't want to because we see it from other perspectives. Right. And well, I mean, I think it's fine to say, you know, I want, I don't want my loved one to be burdened with hard things. I think that's absolutely fine. And that's yeah. a great goal to have, but I think to turn around and say, and to do so, I will take away all of their agency. So they don't even have to think anymore and therefore get rid of the problem instead of like, so I'm going to work towards a way to help them get over that burden. Like <laughs> it just is so gross. And like you said, putting women in this box of like, oh, let's take take you away from the bad stuff and you just sit there and look pretty and like you don't have to worry about it 
And that is really naive on his part if he thinks that women, including his mother, then just don't worry about that stuff, that there's no way that they think about anything other than what they're told to think about. Like, I just think it's really a really interesting way to look at the world and to think, well, of course women don't think that way naturally. It's just because we force them to. So if you take them away from that, they won't think about it anymore. When like even letting Kefria do nothing, like she is still worried. She still has fears. And like, sure, she doesn't know the firsthand stuff, but she can still tell that they're struggling, right? So isn't she going to worry about that? Well, I think his point is that he's trying to direct them away from that lifestyle and her worrying is because of her grandmother having to do a lot of stuff or her mother having to do a lot of stuff, Ronica and Efren like playing into that role, mm. you know? So if, if he had his way, he will make the whole family successful because he's a man Okay, and doing, so- taking care of everything and he'll put somebody else in charge of the ship. So he'll stay at home and do all of that. She won't have to worry about anything. Right. Okay, just quick question. This is like something that I just thought about. Um, if he's so much of a man that can take care of the burden and can steer this family right, how come he hasn't done it before Efren's death? How come he hasn't made a, enough of a profit to make a difference without Efren there? We don't really know their setup, but it doesn't seem like... For, for as much as Bingtown kind of doesn't... Well... I shouldn't say doesn't like the Chelsidian way because it's kind of seeping into their culture. As much as the full-on Chelsidian experience doesn't exist in Bingtown, mm-hmm. that still is like a thing. Because it, it was a weird thing with all the talks about as the man of this family and Efren was the man of this family to make the decisions for everybody. And like, that's not just Kyle talking. That just seemed to be like the way of it. I don't know. It was really weird and how all of that was kind of phrased. And I'm not sure the social constructs that they have in Bingtown well, because Kefria was still living in the Vestret house. Yep. Like all, all of this kind of thing. She was still under all of their stuff. So I don't know how that works. Well, that's why I'm also confused because yeah, Kefria is still living in their house. And so is Kyle when he comes back and Kyle has been sailing this whole time. Yeah, he was a captain of three other ships. So, Where's that money gone? Yeah, I, I like honestly don't know. How is that unless not it's, unless it's going back to like his mother or something? If she's still alive, I don't know. I, so I was just thinking about that. This whole like grandeur of like I'm gonna make the the house a better place. Okay, well why weren't you saving up to do that as soon as Efren died? Then why didn't you have money in place to help? Why don't you have the ability? Why weren't you helping before? Because I feel like we would know. <laughs> I feel like we would know because Kefria like kind of talked about the holdings and wouldn't she have said Kyle's ships brought in some to be able to help, but we're still breaking even. I don't know. Yeah. We don't really know anything about it. It's an interesting thought, but I yeah, yeah I don't know. It's just a gray area that I don't think I've ever seen touched on, but where did Kyle's money go? He's not paying for a house. <laughs> I don't know. Interesting, interesting revelations I think we're having here that Kyle isn't as big and bad as he thinks he is. Not that that's a surprise. But also, I did want to point out that the 
person who made the laws as they know it and altered history forever was a woman. Shout out to Meloda. Love that for women (laughs) in this history. (laughs) But here's Kyle wanting to wanting to do good. And like you said, it is a really interesting way to look at things and to realize that, yes, this is coming from a place of love and he does think he's doing right, even though we know as 21st century readers that it's terrible and he should not be doing that. It is still something that he is trying to do. He's trying to be better. And this is when Wintrow has the realization that there isn't really common ground. He stared at his father and floundered through his thoughts, trying to find some common ground where he could be begin to reason with him. He could not. Despite the blood bond between them, this man was a stranger, and his beliefs were so utterly different from all Wintrow had embraced that he felt no hope of reaching him. Finally, he said quietly, Saw teaches us that no one may determine the life path of another. Even if you cage his flesh and forbid him to utter his thoughts, even to cutting out his tongue, you cannot still a man's soul. For a moment, his father just looked at him. He too sees a stranger, Wintrow thought to himself. When he spoke, his voice was thick. You're a coward, a craven coward. Then his father strode past him. And I think about this passage as a really interesting point for Wintrow to bring up to his father. He's showing, um, holding up a mirror and saying, you can force people to live the way you want them to, but that doesn't mean you're changing their mind. Right. Yes, you made me do this and I listened, but that doesn't mean that in my head I was thinking that you're the, you're doing good things. I was still thinking the same thoughts I had before. I'm going to continue thinking the thoughts I have now. You cannot stop me from thinking thoughts differently than you do. And Kyle hates that so much. Kyle throws open the door and he's quickly calling for Torg, who quickly comes in and must have been eavesdropping and his father says take the ship's boy back to his quarters keep a good watch on him and see he learns all his duties before we sail and keep him out of my sight this last he uttered with great feeling as if wronged by the world tor gave a jerk of his head and wintrow rose silently to follow him with a sinking heart he recognized the smirk on torg's face his father had given him over completely into this wretch's hands and the man knew it For now, he just seemed content to shepherd him towards his miserable dungeon, as Wintrow describes it. Manages to duck his head before the man pushed him across the threshold and kind of stumbles in. He was too deep in despair to even realize what kind of comment Torg was throwing towards him. And the door shuts and Wintrow just kind of sits there. And now he's retrospective. He's thinking. He's he's thinking on the past a little bit. He's yawning because of the huge meal. Right. And he's out of long habit preparing both his body and mind for rest. Some exercises that he was taught. Right. 
so I think in finishing my hatred of Kyle <laughs> for this um, section. Good addendum to that. I don't <laughs> think it'll ever be finished. That's true. I really think what I despise the most is that Kyle has to be aware of the type of person Torg is. And telling that kind of person that you're not claiming your son as your son and giving him free reign to beat your child is horrible. It's horrible that he allows it to happen on his ship anyway to anyone, but especially his child who he should be protecting. And maybe he doesn't know that Torg is like that. I have a very hard time believing that. Torg only threatens when both the first mate and Kyle are off the ship, though. But only to Wintrow, and only because his dad is captain. I think Torg thought he would get in trouble for touching the captain's boy. Maybe, yeah. And so didn't. I don't think it was because he would never actually hit somebody. Possibly. But I don't know. I It's just like really gro- That aspect is so gross to me because he's either knowingly separating himself from his son to let him be in more danger or doesn't realize how dangerous this person is to people. And I just can't believe that he wouldn't know. I I think he's, I don't think he's purposely like consciously like, okay, I'm going to give him over to Torg and I know Torg is going to beat him if he doesn't do well. I think it's more like he's angry. This is just the ship's boy. Torg escort him away because you brought him here. And, treat him as just the ship's boy now probably subconsciously he knows like that could come along with discipline if he doesn't obey right like he has hinted at Wintro before but i i i don't know i just don't think he's purposely putting him in torg's hand because he knows he's gonna get beaten or something and i i don't think he thinks of it as danger it's discipline right i don't know it's not great either way, but I'm no. just, I, that's what I think from Kyle's perspective. I guess. I don't know. It's just, it's all around horrible. And like, I don't know. I know I said that I didn't think that Efren was a great dad, but like, dang, Kyle has, hasn't beat like Efren's miles better. <laughs> so much better. If you didn't add that last part, I'm like, oh, he just hasn't beat, huh? Like yeah, just no, no, this, no. this part like, right here. He hasn't beat. They're pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone is like actually a pretty decent person. Like, I don't know. He means well, I guess. Uh, Kyle means well. I don't know. <laughs> so we have Wintrow sitting here trying to do his mental exercises called forgiving the day. All it required was looking back over the day and dismissing the day's pains as a thing that were passed while choosing to remember as gains, lessons learned, or moments of insight. As people grow in the ways of saw, it is expected that they would grow more sophisticated in this exercise, learning to balance the day, taking responsibility for their own actions, and learning from them without indulging in either guilt or regrets. Wintrow did not think he was up to that tonight. Odd, how easy it had been to love saw's way and master the meditations in the quietly structured days of the monastery. Within the walls... In the mess of stone walls, it had been easy to discern the underlying order in the world, easy to look at the lives of the farmers and shepherds and merchants, and see how much of their misery was self-generated. Now that he was out in the midst of it, 
He could still see some of that pattern, but he felt too weary to examine it and see how he could change it. He was tangled in the threads of his own tapestry. I don't know how to make it stop, he said softly to the darkness. Doleful as an abandoned child, he wondered if any of his teachers missed him. So I want to take a quick, uh, have a quick commentary about that. Odd how easy it had been to love Sazwe in the monastery. This is exactly what Barandal was telling him. Right. Literally just like stop judging people because you've had it easy in the monastery. You don't know what it is like to live there, <laughs> their yes. lives. Yeah. And for worse at this point, but for better or for worse, Wintrow is learning that firsthand now. Right. No, I think it is a really interesting thing to take away of before this Wintrow was kind of sneering at the ship people and how they're so barbaric and don't know anything. And now that he has this firsthand experience of it's tiresome work and it's really hard and there's not time to think. First of all, he was taught how to think. Second of all, he was taught how to think through his just his day. And third... All of the other things about Saw and like the contradictions and things like that. And that's not like what all of these other people are doing. And he still is too tired to like think through anything and like right. figure out his thoughts. And not only that, but he was given an opportunity to learn that in an environment where he wasn't super tired all the time. And it's harder now. He's still doing it and he still, I think, keeps part of that training with him forever. But we do have this really interesting look into why it might be hard and why sailors maybe are seen as a little bit more simple and barbaric. And it's like, well, yeah, not at the forefront of their day. No. And they have to do it to survive. Like this is a job to help them continue to live. So of course they're not taking time to learn. Saw's not on their mind. Like (laughs) who has time for that? Unless they're in a storm, which then I'm sure saws on their mind. <laughs> True. But with this, with these thoughts of uh, the monastery and his past, he kind of thinks about his previous times there as well. He recalled his final morning at the monastery about the stained glass and creating the tree out of that first scene that we saw Wintro in. He says he had always taken a secret pride in his ability to summon beauty and hold it. But had it been his skill at all? Or had it been something created instead by the teachers who insulated him from the world and provided both a place and a time in which he might work? Perhaps, given the right atmosphere, anyone could do it. Perhaps the only thing about him that had been remarkable was that he had been given a chance. For an instant, he was overwhelmed by his own ordinariness. Nothing remarkable about Wintrow. An indifferent ship's boy, a clumsy sailor, not even worth mentioning. He would disappear into time as if he had never been born. He could almost feel himself unraveling into darkness. No, no, he would not let go. He would hang on to himself and fight and something would happen. Something. Would the monastery send someone, send anyone to inquire after him when he did not return? I think I'm going to be rescued, he observed wearily to himself. There. I think I'm hoping to be rescued, he says. There, that was a high ambition, to stay alive and remain himself until someone could save him. He was not sure if, if, if there had been a beginning of a thought there, but the upsurging blackness of sleep drowned it. 
So a few things to talk about in there. One, uh, some philosophical thoughts about the skill, because we know this is the skill he's actually talking about, manipulating the stained glass, creating that beauty, that art. Right. And he's saying, perhaps given the right atmosphere, anyone could do it. Perhaps the only thing about him that had been remarkable that he'd been given a chance. That is remarkable in itself, first of all. Obviously, that won't help Wintrow at this point. Right. But two, kind of. It's kind of in between what he's thinking about. It takes special people to be able to do what he does. But also, you need to be given that chance. And a lot more people than just him could learn that. Right. Yeah, I think think it's such a funny human idea where sometimes, especially if you're really good at something – you can kind of forget that like imposter syndrome. Yeah. I guess this is somewhat, somewhat that, but I was thinking more when you're really good at something, it's really easy to think like, Oh, I'm so talented. I'm so successful. It's really easy for me. And like, I'm going to be somebody in this. And then whenever you take a look at the wider world and see somebody else who is better (laughs) than you, it's kind of a reminder of, Oh, like, Number one, I'm not the most unique person in the world. Like there are people out there that can do what I'm doing. And that is such a weird thing to grapple with. And I think it's a very meta conversation to be having for Wintrode, a very like hard concept, even for adults to grasp. I mean, like, I feel like I struggle with this problem a lot of like, well, am I really any good at this? Or is it just because I was given the opportunity to do it? (laughs) And I don't know. And I think... I think some of it, I think it's half and half. Like you said, I think there is, I think a lot of people can learn a lot of things just given the opportunity. However, some people probably are just innately better at some things and given the right opportunity, they can flourish in that quicker and easier than others. Yeah. That doesn't belittle the others who can't do that same thing. I think that, I don't know, there's uniqueness in all of us, but none of us are the most unique. True. Then there's that second part of this where he says he wasn't even worth mentioning. He would disappear into time as if he had never been born. He could almost feel himself unraveling into darkness. And then he says, no, no, I'm not going to let that happen. I will be me hoping I can be rescued. So this is, to me, very clear imagery of him doing his meditations, which I think are rooted in kind of projecting his anima out sure. <laughs> his uh his skill presence or something mm-hmm. putting himself into the skill river maybe even like something similar to that and him thinking he is so ordinary he's like anybody else out there there's nothing really defining him allows himself to start unraveling into that skill river to into that darkness as he says it to be completely consumed by it where he would be you know, left basically comatose and his existence would be gone in the skill river. He wouldn't be able to recover the, what the six duchies warns about all the time in their teachings. Yeah. And then he has that thought, no, 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 no. I'm going to be me. I'm going to remain myself. Specifically. He says, I think I'm hoping to be rescued there. That was a high ambition to stay alive and remain himself until someone else could save him. So he has a purpose now to go forward. So he's like, okay, I'm going to remain myself. I'm not going to be ordinary. I'm going to be me. And he kind of centers himself again. Right. So I just wanted to kind of point that out because it's very 
similar, obviously different words associated with it, but right. very similar to what Fitz is feeling sometimes. Yeah, I definitely feel like that sense of like worthlessness is a Fitz feeling. Yeah. Um, I do feel like maybe there is some slight difference if this is the skill in the way Wintro wields it versus Fitz, especially because, or even just everyone in the six duchies, because there isn't that overwhelming sense of goodness coming in. True. There's no True. like want to dissolve because it feels so good to let go of who you are. Yeah, that's definitely true. There's that dread sense of like, no, I'm losing myself. I need to not do that. But it is very similar. Like you said, like there is that unraveling that's happening. I don't know. I guess I didn't even think about that being similar to the skill. I was more focused on, there's a lot of tapestry mentions in this Wintro passage. And that feels very much like catalysty to me. <laughs> The threads of fate or whatever. Yeah. They're weaving. Well, he falls asleep and he is the ship's boy now, not the captain's son who is a ship's boy. Yes. So we move on to our last section of this chapter with Vivacia. And it she is dark. Uh, excuse me. It is dark in the harbor <laughs> and she is sitting there and all of a sudden Ronica is in front of her. She feels a soft touch of a hand against her planking, and she exclaims Ronica in gentle surprise. And Ronica says, yeah, I, quiet, I just want to talk to you a little bit, quietly. And she asks, I need to know this, that is, Althea sent me a message. She feared all was not well with you, the woman's voice faltered. The message actually came some days ago. A servant, thinking it unimportant, had set it in Efren's study. I only found it today. Her hand was still set to the hull. Vivacia could read some of what she felt, though not all. It is hard for you to go into that room, isn't it? As hard as it is to come down here and see me. Ephron, Ronica whispered brokenly, is he... is he within you? Can he speak through you to me? Vivacia shook her head sorrowfully. She was used to seeing this woman through Ephron's eyes or Althea's. They had seen her as determined and authoritative. Tonight, in her dark cloak with her head bowed, she looked so small. Vivacia longed to comfort her, but would not lie. No, I'm afraid it isn't like that. I'm aware of what he knew, but it is commingled with so much else. Still, when I look at you, I feel as my own the love he felt for you. Does that help? No, Ronica answered truthfully. There is some comfort in it, but it can never be like Efren's strong arms around me or his advice guiding me. Oh, ship, what am I to do? What am I to do? I don't know, Vivacia answered. And Ronica's distress is kind of awakening in her own anxiety a little bit here and puts it into words, saying, It frightens me that you ask me that question. Surely you know what to do. Efren certainly always believed you did. Reflectively, Vivacia added, he thought of himself as a simple sailor, you know, a man who had the knack of running a ship well. You were the wisdom of the family, the one with the greater vision. He counted on that. I'll pause there quickly. That is something that we have remarked about Ronica before, that she does try to see ahead and see consequences of actions. Right. She's wrong sometimes, of course. She's a human. But she does look ahead quite often and is 
with Efren's kind of placing the financial burden on her, shall we say? Yeah. That that mindset does make sense with his character saying like, I'm not anything special. Like I'm just a sailor who knows how to run a good ship. I don't have the knack of anything. I'm going to give it to my wife. My wife. <laughs> Sorry. So Vivacia and Ronica are speaking of here, speaking here, and Vivacia isn't that old. No. And yet she's had so many different like uncertainties come towards her with this whole situation. Plus Ronica here, one of the few figures that in Vivacia's memory is like very sure of herself, is like, what am I doing? And Vivacia's like, I I I don't know. I thought you would know what you were doing. Right. That I'm, would be... I'm a kid. Like I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I think that would be really weird to only know someone from bits and pieces of other people's memory. And then for that person who seems so sure and knowledgeable to come to you and not know anything, that would be really scary. It'd be like, what do you mean you don't know? How am I supposed to know then? But I don't know. I think, I think it's interesting to hear from Efren's point of view, why he never helped her. Yeah. Well, it's, one sentence about it, but yeah. Sure, but it still stems from Efren himself, basically. Yep. Because it is the Vivacia's memories of what Efren felt. And Efren didn't help because he thought he wasn't smart enough to help and thought of his wife as better at it. And I do want to say that I think that Ronica is extremely smart. I think that she is incredibly good at managing a household. I mean, she was going in person to the fields and knew what blights looked like and knew how to counter them and knew what to do with hands-on experience. It's the same thing of this whole ship nonsense of Althea doesn't deserve it because she didn't get her hands dirty or whatever. And it's just this idea of like they're going out there and they're doing and that does make the knowledge more. And I think that that's a great thing that Ronica has Right. But I don't think Ronica ever developed the skill of learning to ask for help in a way that showed that she wanted help. And I think that wasn't helped by the fact that her husband couldn't couldn't see himself in a position where he could help her. That right. like he just decided, well, I'm not smart enough to help, so I'm not gonna try. Which like is cute in a way. It's like, oh, you trusted your wife to make good choices, but also like maybe read a book while you're on board to help later. Well, he doesn't like, think of himself as not smart, but she was the wisdom of the family. Right. And had greater she vision. So like, yeah. yeah. I don't think he saw himself as like a dumb sailor. <laughs> tis, tis I, but a wee sailor. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's an interesting perspective that we're kind of shown because we don't get much of Ephraim. No, just little bits and pieces. And I do think it is incredibly sad and it, it would be so hard to talk to a thing that is only living because your husband died right. and your husband is in that thing, but the, isn't really. These such conflicting emotions, even for somebody who grew up around that custom. Right. Well, because even if you grew up around it, it still doesn't affect you until it affects you. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. She, I think it's really interesting to show that, to show that area of like, no, the person, the people who have died aren't actually here. It's just their memories that are here. Yeah. So I don't know. 
I, I just, I really feel for Ronica in this moment because she's lost her daughter. She's lost her, her home and her ship basically to the control of Kyle. And she's also lost her husband and that's really hard. And she doesn't know what to do. She's lost. And Vivacia offers the, uh, the advice. I think he would tell you to follow your own counsels. And Ronica shakes her head and is like, yeah, I fear you're right. Do you know where Althea is? They have a little back and forth. They haven't. Ronica admits that she hasn't been back to the house for a while. And Vivacia says, well, I've seen her more often than you then, I guess. She, the last time she came to see me, Torg came onto the docks and tried to lay hands on her. She pushed him off the dock and walked away while everyone else was laughing. But she was all right? Vivacia shook her head. Only as all right as you or I am which is to say she is troubled and hurt and confused. But she told me to be patient that all would eventually be put right. She told me not to take matters into my own hands. Ronica nodded gravely. Those are the very things I came down to here to say tonight also. Do you think you can keep such counsels? I? The ship almost laughed. Ronica, I am three times a vestrate. I fear I shall have only as much patience as my forebears did. An honest answer, Ronica conceded. I only will I will only ask you that you try. No, I will ask you one more thing. If Althea returns here before you sail, will you give her a message for me? For I have no other way to contact her save through you. Of course, and I will see that no one save her hears the message. Good, that is good. All I ask is that she comes to see me. We are not at odds as much as she believes we are, but I will not go into details now. Just ask her to come to me, quietly. I shall tell her, but I do not know if she will. Neither do I, ship. Neither do I. That ends that chapter. And I don't think she ever makes it there. I don't remember. Mm, I think that they talk in person at the house one more time. Oh, do they? Something to look forward to then. I don't know that for sure. I guess I just have like an idea that they talk and Althea doesn't take it well or something. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> Ronica probably doesn't say it well, really well. Yeah. And Althea probably doesn't take it well. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I just like have this vision of them talking at night, like at the house. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just making that up. I don't know. But Ronica does get the message from Althea little bit late because she doesn't want to go into Efren's study anymore. She's dealing with her own loss and grief. It's been a few days. We haven't been at the house. We haven't been with Ronica for a week now or so. Right. And we get a little bit more talking to Vivacia. And one thing that sticks out in that last passage that I read is that when, when Vivacia says, well, when Ronica asks, is she all right? And Vivacia says, only is all right as you and I, which means she's hurt and confused. And Ronica just kind of breezes past that and still thinks about Althea, which is fair. It's her daughter right. that's missing. But the whole reason she's down there is because Althea was worried about Vivacia. And Vivacia just admitted like, yeah, I'm, I'm hurt and confused. And I and don't know scared. what's going on and scared. So I don't know. I know. That was something that I thought about too, is that she says she's there because Althea said that she should check up on the ship. And Althea had like knew that she would come if it had something to do with the ship. But it's just like, like you said, fr it's frustrating to 
watch her just not really care about how the ship is doing. Right. I mean, I get that she cares more for her daughter. Like, like you said, like I get it on like some level, but at the other level, like she should also care that the ship is upset and has said actively like, uh, yeah, I'm probably going to do something to get back on my own terms because I'm a vestrit <laughs> and three times a vestrit. And it's like, yeah, okay, well, at least if you try. <laughs> well, thank you so much for tuning in this week to finish off this chapter. Anything, any final thoughts on the whole chapter, Emma? Um, being a parent seems like it'd be really hard. True. Good, good note to end it on there. Yeah. <laughs> if I have learned anything from this book, from Kyle and Veronica and Efren and Kef- Kefria, um, being a parent seems hard. And also, um, be nice to people. Let people live their lives. As True. long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah. Don't have to control everybody's actions. Yeah. Let people live. Live and let live, baby. So thanks so much for tuning in. If you have any thoughts about this chapter, about the books, or any theories that are coming up or anything like that, please let us know. You can email us at isfitshappy at gmail.com or reach out on any of our social medias. Isfitshappy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We post every week on all three of those about the new episodes, or you can message us on any of those DMs. 